Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. And this is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. Dr. Weefall, hello. We're going to start off today with a bang. <laughs> you know, here's what happened. I bought a soda. <laughs> I bought a diet soda because, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to drink anything with sugar in it. I couldn't get the soda out because there was a can in the way in the soda machine. Uh-oh. And it contained somebody bought something and then didn't get it. Did bang! It? It's called Bang. It's an energy drink. It says potent brain and body fuel. It's I got guess. CoQ10. No. Yes. I, is- but I'm saying, no, that is not a brain and body fuel, okay? It's not? The only thing CoQ10 has been shown to help yeah. is reduce the muscle aches from statins, okay? Okay. So everybody oh. thinks... That CoQ10 is like a superfood, <laughs> super supplement. Yeah. Eh. Now, I brought up Bang. Yeah. We're starting off with a Bang. Yeah. What, what because that? of energy drinks. Now, remember I asked you, do you know how many grams of caffeine are in it? See, caffeine is the only thing that gives you energy in an energy drink. Okay. Not taurine. You see that in some of them. Yeah. I think it's even funnier. That they say gluten free. That's gluten free. That's a good thing. That's a good. Well, but not only that, who would put wheat into an energy drink? You're right. You're right. Anyway, 300 milligrams of caffeine. Now, you, I don't think, could finish that thing. That's what, about 16 ounces of fluid? Yeah. Yeah. So 300 milligrams in 16 ounces of fluid. Now, how does that compare to a cup of coffee? Yeah, how much? Okay, so a cup of coffee is about eight ounces usually, unless you go to Starbucks. Yeah. Okay? So that's about twice as much as a regular cup of coffee. Yeah. But guess what? What? It's the same amount of caffeine in one of those, is it Lente, Gigante, at Starbucks? Sure. Uh, I always big. order small, medium, or large. Yeah. I... And they go, what do you mean? Lente? Grande? It's ridiculous, eh? I don't think it's lente. So if you, the thing I want to tell people is that the reason why energy drinks got a bad name is because these kids were drinking 20 right, in a right, row. Right, Or you know what they did? They'd go to a bar and they'd get an energy drink with yes. vodka. Yes. So yes. if you want to drink that energy drink and drink it slowly, yes. the whole can is like a large cup of coffee. A half a can is like a regular cup of coffee in terms of the amount of caffeine. So, don't drink 20 cups of coffee. Okay. And don't have 20 energy drinks. Now, right. I do it differently. I get five-hour energies. And yes. they have 200 milligrams of caffeine. So, it's a, it's a little bit more than a regular cup of coffee. Now, do you know why I like it? Why? Because whenever I get coffee, I sip a little, sip yeah. a little more. And you know what happens? Yeah, I go to sip it 20 minutes later, and it's cold. I throw the whole thing away. But with a five-hour energy, I get up in the morning. I need that pick-me-up. I just chug it, and I feel good. Is it just the caffeine? Yes. That's, That's the it. only thing in an energy drink that gives you energy. Okay. It's the caffeine. 
and that's right. it. So we started off with a bang. Let's hope we can Thank you. get the rest of this show on the road. I'm going to secretly try to drink this whole thing No. during the show. <laughs> All right. The second hour might be a little loopy for those in the Raleigh area. Well, you'll be talking be- like this and very quickly, and you'll <laughs> say, Dr. Weefall, do you have anything you want to say? It could happen. All right. There is a breakthrough migraine drug. Uh, There are some bold statements in the medical press. You got $16 supplement can do everything. Uh, Keep off Alzheimer's, cure cancer, lower your blood sugar. And uh, a bad host on the radio show, you'll keep him away. And the heat wave in the Pacific Northwest. It's terrible. People are dying. Yes. And I want to talk again. Uh, this is the Weefald method Please. of keeping cool. Do that, and then we'll talk about fireworks. Okay. So people need to know that heat will kill, especially elderly people. Uh, people, that my patients especially, have a problem with thermoregulation. So on a 90-degree day, they're coming in wearing a coat. Yeah. And I ask them, I say, why are you wearing a coat? Says, I'm cold. Right. They can't sense heat sometimes. And so the number one thing, to prevent heat stroke, which is when the body's regulation of temperature is totally gone, and you go up to 106, 107 degrees. That is a medical emergency. That is a 911 call. And the number one thing is stay out of the heat. Okay, If you want to get out, uh, it's usually about mm, 10 degrees, 15 degrees cooler in the morning Mm -hmm. and in the late evening. So if you want to do your gardening, if you want to do your daily walk, which I recommend, do it in the morning. Now, a lot of people like to get out and get the sun at 4, you know, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That's the most dangerous time. Um, The reason is because the asphalt is heated up, your uh, backyard patio is heated up, and so you're getting even more heat as the reflection of that heat comes off of those uh, objects. You need... Everyone needs to wear white, loose-fitting clothing. Why do you think the Bedouins in Saudi Arabia and the deserts wear those outfits? Because the white reflects the sun and the heat off your body. Yes. And then why do they have a white covering on their head? Same thing. And the worst thing is to wear, a, is wear dark clothing because right. that absorbs heat. And, you know, why do they think... They say the the good guys wear white hats because their they're, brain's not cooked. They're cool. Yeah. The yeah. the bad guys wear the black hats. Their brains are cooked, and they want to do all sorts of terrible things to you. All right. The second thing is hydration is good. Right. But drinking water, even cold water, will not cool you down. The way that your body thermoregulates naturally is sweating. Right. So the blood flows to the skin. It gets to the sweat glands, and they produce fluid. Yes. Sweat. It's a salty thing. And when the sweat evaporates, it carries off energy. But it can never be enough if it's 100 degrees in the shade and you're out in the sun. So what do you do? And you can do this in emergency if you see somebody is overheated, or you can do what I do. I could never play 18 holes of golf when I turned 45 because I didn't thermoregulate. And I would get so wiped out. Yeah. And I'd drink all sorts of Cokes and water, and I'd still be wiped out. A cold can or a cold bottle, and I've said this time and time again, to your neck. Yeah. Now, why to your neck? 
Because there is a carotid artery right below the skin, okay, and the jugular vein. So the artery is carrying the red blood up to your brain. Yes. And it is carrying the the, uh, jugular vein is carrying the blue blood out of your brain back to your heart. Yeah. They're very high flow. So if you've ever seen those gangster movies where they cut someone's throat, it's pretty dramatic. Yes. But what you can do is refrigerate your body. Now, you put that cold can on your neck, and as the blood flows under the skin, which is Mm -hmm. right below the cold source, it cools. You can lower your body temperature a full degree in about 30 seconds to a minute. And let me tell you, if you feel hot, and you do this within a minute, I guarantee you, you'll be relieved. Now, suppose you see an elderly person or even a young person who's playing football, for example, yes. without appropriate cooling. You can save a life this way by putting ice or a cold can on both sides of the neck and also in the groin. There's the femoral artery and the femoral vein right there in the crease where the legs hit the pelvis. Yes. Do it. And if you want to enjoy the heat, white clothing, a white hat, and use the cold can or the cold bottle on your neck. Now, people think, well, I get brain freeze. Alternate. 10, 15 seconds on one side, yeah. 10, 15 seconds on the other side. Okay. And it works. I, I need to know this because yeah. there's one blood pathway that goes to the brain. Right. Is that right side or left side? Both. Both. Yeah, so you have a right carotid artery okay. and a left right, carotid. Now, right. I, I left out something. Yeah. Don't do the right side by pressing down deep. No, 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 no. Because yeah. there is something called the carotid body. And the carotid body is usually on the right side, and it regulates blood pressure. So if you push on your carotid artery yeah, on the do. right side yeah. and the carotid bulb, you can lower your blood pressure. You don't even need to push. You just lay it on there so it's connected, to, you know, not connected, touching the skin. Yeah. And I'm telling it's a lifesaver. And okay. it'll also keep you going in the heat if you do it before you get hot. As soon as you find yourself being hot, do it. We have not mentioned COVID at all. The COVID pile yeah. of articles is really kind of low. Well, I, and I think and we I need like to that. talk about what this Delta variant is Yeah. and what it means and we're not all going to die. I think there are going to be higher cases, uh, numbers of cases, and I think there's going to be higher numbers of cases, especially in the South. Um, because, because why? 20 to 30% vaccinated rates in oh, the Deep yeah. South. In the North, in Boston, right? it's close to 70 to 80%. And that is a cultural thing. I think that is a, uh, a shame um, because the vaccines are safe. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about what that means. I think everybody should get a vaccine. Who wants it? I do respect those who don't want it. But I want to explain the things that you've heard. Um, they are true, but they're extremely rare. And so we'll talk about that, too. Okay. North Carolina Health News popped up in your news I'm feed. getting Rose Hoban's news feeds now. I have something called Flipboard. Yeah. It's, I recommend it. Uh, you can tailor the news you want. Yeah. And then it, once you have it all loaded up on your app, you just flip the pages and stuff comes out. And then I have something, uh, uh, the Apple News. Yeah. And it, Rose is showing up. That's She's good. getting to be 
almost as famous as we are. Not quite, <laughs> but we'll tell her that we're going to talk to her about a really great article for everybody who has Medicaid, especially, or actually every doctor who takes Medicaid. Right. Insulin prices are going up. And is up. A, is this a government thing? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. You said it's not a government thing. It's, it's a not. greed thing. Oh, it's a greed thing. Oh, yeah, I, but well, we have that. some good news. Is the American system greed yeah. is fine. We have some good news. Yeah, we do. Wally World. No. Wally World, as as we call Walmart, yeah. is doing a great public service. They're going to come out with some generic insulin. And the funny thing is, that generic insulin is made by Novo Nordisk here in Clayton. Yeah. But their own brand name? Yeah. It's like five times as expensive, and it's the same medicine. Figure that out. Shh, don't tell anybody. Telephone Shh. number, right? I mean, it's it's the it's like buying, it's like buying something like toaster, and you know that the name brand is much more expensive. Well, do you, do you buy the the store brands like you know um, Harris Teeter brand? It depends on what it is. In some cases, they're superior. I think. Well, yeah, they're superior a, in price. Right, well, right, superior and a and superior you think, product. I've bought some stuff, hair yeah. store brands, and I don't think they're any good. Oh, okay. Now, but is that psychological? So you know what the study would be? What's that? 5,000 people yeah. with, um, uh, we call it a nocebo. Right. You put the goods, the, the brand stuff in a Harris Teeter box. Right. Right, you right. put the Harris Teeter stuff in the brand box. I won't. And then see if people think one's better than the other. I will not buy generic coffee because life is too short to drink mediocre coffee. What's your coffee? My coffee is like Folgers or yeah, some. But, no. No, no. People from Starbucks will turn their nose down on Folgers. Well, they'll turn their nose down on everything. They're, like, from, they're from Starbucks, for Pete's sake. It's like the Tesla owners. Right. The tes- <laughs> like the Tesla owners. Yeah. You know, the French are looking down at you and I. We oui, oui. And you've got an advanced degree in medicine, and he's, they still think you're a hick. Yeah. Because they're French. We oui, we. Right. Oui. Telephone number 919-860-9783. We've got Lee in Chapel Hill next. Okay, you're never going to believe this. You, you truly, if you didn't see the picture and you won't on the radio, you're never going to believe this. Somebody has invented essentially a chastity belt for your mouth. Hey, I'm wearing it right now. What is the. I'm, I'm wearing it right you're now. You're wearing it right now. No, okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess everybody knows that if you don't open your mouth, you right. can't eat. Right. I suppose you could, well, they, you know, you get liquid food up your nose, I suppose. No. Or you can get little tiny bits of food and then inhale them and hope they don't get stuck in your sinus. You could eat ice cream. Yeah. But, but pe- describe these people, this thing. yeah, it's a lock. There you, you, it's like a brace, and you put it on one of your big teeth right. on the top. Right. And then you put it on on the bottom. Yeah. And then they, you throw the switch, and it locks it. You can't open your mouth. <laughs> now, I, you know, you're going to lose weight if you starve. Yeah. But what they do is they let it open up just enough to fit a straw. And then you're supposed to live like that. Now, I don't know no. who'd want to do this. No. And I'm sure it's not covered by insurance. Yeah. And I'm sure 
the dentists are going to charge beaucoup, as the French would say. Please tell me the name of it. It's called Dental Slim. <laughs> dental Slim. I'd rather have a Slim Jim than a Dental Slim. Dental Slim. Well, I don't. If you could, maybe you can adjust it to open it up just enough to fit the Slim Jim in, and then you might have some pleasure in life. It's a know? lock for your teeth. Yeah. All right, it's Lee incredible. in Chapel Hill. I am so glad you called us up. What's going on, Lee? Hi. Trend and Dave, Dr. Weevil. Hey. Lee, what's uh, going on? Dr. Weevil, I know you're a cardiologist. Yeah. I don't know, I, but I still think you can answer this. This pops up um, sometimes a few times a day, sometimes a few times a week. Yeah. Uh, I cough. I feel, uh, I, I don't know if it's, uh, uh, well, trying to explain when I'm taking a nap sometimes. Yeah. In the middle of my little 15 or 20 minute nap, I'm coughing. Something happens to my mucus or something in the back of my throat. I'm coughing, coughing, and coughing, trying to get it out. Yep. Uh, but, uh, it stopped. I stopped coughing, and then immediately after I stopped coughing, I start sneezing, and that's it. It's happening more and more and more. Yeah, I, I think I got an idea. Uh, it's when you lay down, right? You're taking a nap. <clears throat> Is that right? Um, I'm in, in my on my recliner. Yeah. Okay. Um, you don't smoke, do you? No. Okay. And how about your sinuses? Are they bad? Do you sniffle? You have uh, the North Carolina allergy syndrome. Um, I don't think so, but I might. Okay. So, I might. Yeah. So, um, how Do about post nasal? Yeah, post nasal drip. That's drip. what I wanted to hear. Okay. And how about acid reflux uh, from your tummy? Does it go up into your throat? You have a problem with that? Uh, no. Okay. So this is actually a common problem, and when you lay down, uh, in some people. Uh, there's always going to be some amount of mucus and liquid flowing down from the sinuses. And in some people, it starts to pool in what we call the oropharynx, which is right in that place behind that the mouth. Drip. Yeah. And so when it accumulates when you're sleeping, you'll inhale it. And so it's called microaspiration, and you'll start coughing. And it, it happens when you lay down because it pools in the back of your throat. <clears throat> Normally, like I just did it. I just cleared some uh, in that little cough. What can also happen in people is acid reflux. Even if you don't feel the burning, um, it can go up so high that when you inhale, you always inhale some mm -hmm. particles. Uh, that's why we have little tiny hairs in our lungs called cilia that help to move those bad things out. But when it's liquid and mucus, it can get stuck in there and your lungs don't like extra fluid. So you'll cough it up. Uh -huh. Yeah. So what I generally do is look for acid reflux and make sure that's not a problem. But also uh, try to get the... I'm sorry, go ahead. Post-nasal drip. Yeah, and try to get the post-nasal drip under control. And I use myself because I've got bad allergies. I rinse my nose out twice a day with saline. And then I use Astelin, which is an, uh, a topical in the nose and the sinuses, antihistamine, which reduces the amount of fluid. And then I use okay. Flonase, which is a topical 
steroid that reduces the type of fluid. But listen, it's not for everybody. So like I always say, check with your doctor and see if it's safe for you. But that's what I think may be going on. Um, But again, you know, I can't diagnose you over the phone, but it sure sounds like it could be that. And so, again, we always say check with your doctor. All right. Thank you, Lee. Keith in Raleigh. Keith, we don't have a lot of time, but I think you can probably tell us what's going on. Yeah, well, hold me over, and I'll uh, talk to you next next period, okay? Well, you know, it's funny because we've got uh, Rose Hoban yeah, coming on. Yeah, you might have to wait about 10 minutes. You, That's you, okay. 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 Keith. Keith is a good guy. He, he is, wants to be on the right. show. He's all right. I'm going to put him on hold. Okay. I, I, we're going to talk about Medicaid with Rose Hope. Yeah, and this is something I think that happens and all the time, is that when you get a new system, it's just impossible for the system to work appropriately. And, and I'm going to give my two cents about what happened to me when Medicaid shifted from what they were doing, fee-for-service, yeah. to a managed care system with seven, six, seven different carriers. Yeah. Uh, so Blue Cross is managing some patients and United Healthcare is managing some others. And so it's like the Tower of Babel now. I want to shout out, now it's a little early for that, but shout out the Missouri Attorney General. He took Jim Baker to court. Good. Everybody remember Jim Baker? Yeah, Tammy Faye. Uh, Jim Baker was selling this silver solution, which had actual yeah. silver in it. Yeah. And he was selling it for a lot of money. And you drink it? As a cure for COVID. And you know what happens when you drink too much silver? You, you change you turn color. blue. You turn blue. Yeah. yeah. A Smurf. Um, anyway, that Missouri Attorney General is a, has forced Jim Baker and his Jim Baker TV show who knew that he would still be trying to scam people decades later? Oh, well, yeah. Decades after the PTL. Yeah. Um, he's, he's recovered $156,000. Does Jim Baker have that much money? Yes, because people bought that much silver solution. Are you kidding me? No, people did it. It's, it's pretty unfair. Yeah. All right. We're talking with Rose Hoban coming ne- up next on Heart Health Radio. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefald. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. We welcome Rose Hoban from NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. How are you, Rose? Good, fellas. How are you? We're doing all right. You've day, huh? You, oh yeah, it's a beautiful day. You've you've hit a nerve because our doctor here has Medicaid patients, and uh-huh. you wrote an article about the switch to managed care, which mm-hmm. I gather was this week. It was. I'm at midnight on July first. You, if you heard a a distant kafunk, I did. That was uh, them flipping the switch. From the old system, where it's called fee for service, right? It's everything you do. You have an office visit. You do a test. You have a blood test. Uh, Physicians and providers would get paid for each of those things. Now, you just get a lump sum payment for 
managing a patient, and then it all has to happen within that lump sum payment. All right. So, so what do we think? It, it, doctor, did, did we think this was going to be a better system? Well, I mean, we're still going to get paid by what we do. Yeah. Um, Correct. So, for example, I do a stress test. Though I get paid for it. Um, but the difference is it's probably not going to get approved. <laughs> You've got to go oh, through okay. managed care. you got to get a prior authorization. Now, we used to get prior authorizations on some tests for Medicaid. Um, but, you know, for a lot of them, you didn't need a prior authorization. You're going to need a prior authorization now for every one. And the other thing is that there is going to be a gatekeeper called the primary physician. And you're going to have to run everything through that primary physician. Can I do this as a specialist? Can I do this? Can I do that? And even can I see the patient? And so the primary care physician can say they don't need a cardiologist. You come see me instead. I don't know if it's going to save money. I don't. Rose, did you know that was it two years ago? They had already saved $200 million. So I don't know if it's going to save money. I certainly hope it does. Um, and I think so also the dirty little secret. Yeah, what's that? Uh-oh. When you look at the when you look at the um, the proposed budget. Yeah. Um, and they had you know like and they were they were showing them at the legislature for a couple of years. If the the way we really save money is by doing the Medicaid expansion, right? Because you you flood Medicaid with a lot of people who are more healthy, right? They're right. maybe they're low income workers and they're healthier. They just need to have, uh, and you're getting all and and those people are covered at a higher rate right. by the feds. So whether it's going to save money or not is still a question. Yeah. Um, the thing that the legislature really likes is that. They believe, and I'm not sure this is actually going to completely be the case, but they believe that what you'll be able to do is at the beginning of the year, we're going to appropriate this much for Medicaid, and that's going to be it. But um, I think there's there's going to be a little more wiggle room to that than um, than, than people think. Um, well, what if I get sick day. in November? Right. Well, that's it. Well, it's what if you get sick in November? Well, you know, like, so managed care, like you, you get in issues with like, what if there's, oh, golly, what if there's a pandemic? Um, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. But in the past, we worried about things like a bad flu season. And so these managed care companies are getting, I think it's like 100 and, or $430 a month for adults and $140 a month for children. And, um, you know, and then you have to sort of do everything within that confine. So, oh, my gosh, what if you have, like, a really bad flu season and a lot of people end up in the hospital, right? Is that going to – well, the, the idea is that the risk associated with that will be borne by the insurance companies, not by the state. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the flip side of it is that those insurance companies have a lot of leverage because they're, they're getting paid a lot of money, and they have hired – Many, 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 many lobbyists. Well, and I, I know from residency, one of my good friends who started the managed care Medicaid plans, and that was in California, called Molina Healthcare, and they were the first ones to do this. And now they're all over the country. They have Molina has a plan in South Carolina, and they sort of pioneered it, and showed that you can make money 
doing Medicare, uh, Medicaid managed care. And one of the basic way that you do it is you deny services. And there are a <laughs> lot of unnecessary services that Medicaid patients get. Uh-huh. There are a lot of unnecessary services that non-Medicaid patients get. Right, and so, right. you know, I, HMOs, I'm sorry. I mean, this, you know, this isn't your, your this isn't your, your, your parents' HMO. Like I, I remember working under HMOs when I was practicing in the nineties and, you know, you'd have a, remember one time we had, when I was working as a hospice nurse, I, I was able to document every time I went in this one woman, the size of her tumors getting bigger and bigger because you could feel them on her lymph nodes. And, uh, and there, her HMO after about two, three weeks of us seeing her, they were like, ah, she's not sick enough. We're going to kick her off hospice. Right. And it was like, oh, now, the difference between those HMOs and the ones now is that theoretically, you're also not just getting paid the lump sum, but you're being held to quality metrics and yep. that you have to meet. Yep. And so the question for me that I'm really curious to see, sort of you know, putting on my health policy hat, is, is that focus on quality really going to change those outcomes like well, we haven't yeah we have an article today about blood pressure and mm-hmm. so you're supposed to document your blood pressure and your electronic medical record and every month the electronic medical record sends you a report of how well you're doing well mm. garbage in garbage out i mean mm. people are going to put in the wrong number they're going to put in a number that makes themselves look good so, I mean, and that's just human nature. And also, blood pressure is so variable. You take a blood pressure, 10 minutes later, it's 20 points higher or 20 points lower. So, a lot of this, you know, we're going to follow the parameters, your, your blood pressure control, your sugar control, whether you've had a flu vaccine, whether you've had a colonoscopy. And I think it helps because it's kind of a reminder. But I'm not yep. so sure all this data really saves lives. I just, I don't see it. Well, well, I mean, it's. Uh, I think the the bottom line of the story that I wrote for Friday was that we're all just gotta wait and see. Yep. <laughs> you wait. know, like the, the the woman who's the head of the pediatric society was like, quality metrics. Will we know if a two year old gets their gets their shots? Well, they've got to be two. <laughs> well, and here's the funny so, thing is that so yeah. many people switch insurance plans year to year. So why would Blue Cross want to spend, you know, two thousand dollars getting somebody to have a uh, colonoscopy to, you know, hopefully prevent something? Why would they want to spend, you know, a lot of money getting a mammogram when the benefits of that are five years down the line, and right. they're not going to even be in their insurance plan anymore? You know. Well, so, the other the other thing the other thing that you bring up a really great point because Medicaid is notorious for having a lot of what's called churn. So, you know, a lot of, um, so there were 1.6 million people who were who were transitioned on the first. 1.2 million of them are children because our Medicaid, it's very hard. Like you, you pretty much have to be the walking dead in North Carolina. That's not, that's a bad way to put oh, it. Gosh. You have to be, you have to be, you have to make less than half of federal poverty, which is about $6,000 a year. Right. You know, have a disability to be an adult, to be a single adult on Medicaid. Wow. For children, though, then those parameters are, go up to 200% of federal poverty because, you know, you have we have an interest as a state in having children be healthy and grow up healthy, right? Right. So, um, so there's very, so, but, but what happens is that 
mom and dad, they're making below 200% of federal poverty, but, oh, hey, they get extra shifts or they pick up more overtime. So then they go over for six months of the year. They're over 200% of federal poverty. So those children, they transition off of Medicaid, yeah. right? And then, they're, and then they transition back on. For the adults who might be on it, maybe they've picked up some work, and so now they're making too much, so they roll off of Medicaid, and then the temporary job ends at the end of the season, and they roll back on to Medicaid. So, it's again, it's, it's hard to do that long-term, just like you say, Dr. Riefel, it's hard to do that long-term quality stuff. Yeah. All right, well, listen— you know, we're going to see how this managed care works for Medicaid. And I really appreciate that article. It really uh, really summed it up. All right. I want everybody to go to NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org for important news every week. Thank you, Rose. All right. See you, fellas. Take care. Keith in Raleigh, welcome to the show. How you doing, Keith? Well, as well as you. Yeah, what's up? Watching here. And uh, you can say yes, yes. I know you like to say yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, I have to have blood work done four times a year. Okay. Yes. My arm veins are not visible. My uh, my internist says you have a difficult stick, and he recommended uh, an injection prior to uh, having my blood work done because nurses just search. Oh, and both arms for the vein. They search in this arm, and then they go to that arm, and then they search in that arm, and the other arm. Yeah. I know there's something. Pretty soon, Keith, you're out of arms. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How about you? You got your arms, right? I only got two. You're a big, hefty fellow. They can Mm -hmm. find them there. The thing is, when I had a colonoscopy, he says, hey, listen, uh, we're going to, I'm going to recommend you have an injection which is like, uh, it's only less than five minutes. Right. And they can uh, do this, and then they can insert the needle into your arm. Keith, Uh, do you remember what the medicine was called? No, he doesn't. That silence is a no. Well, if I knew that. All right, (laughs) that's right. Keith is describing that his doctor wants him to take some sort of medicine before they try to take his blood because some sort of medicine might be able to blow up his blood vessels so that he huh. can be Whoa, stuck. Oh, Dave, you're, you're way off whack. What are you talking about, Dave? Well, well, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, Keith? I don't understand what this injection is. I just want to have my blood taken from my arm right. and my difficult stick. I'm yes. not blowing up. What, is the, what are you talking about? I just want to have... Uh, 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 some sort of a, I'm a difficult stick by my internist. Right. And I want to find out what that medicine is, where if I go uh, to have my blood taken, right. I can recommend that rather than have them search all my veins. All right, hold all on. Right. I have not, uh, I've been doing this for 35 years, and I am not aware of a medicine you can take to make your blood vessels bigger for a blood stick. So, okay. I, you know, basically what you need to get a good, you know, painless uh, blood draw yeah. is a good phlebotomist. Okay. It, it, there's just no way around it. Some people are better than others. Now, I am probably the last 
doctor in the United States of America who draws his own blood. Mm-hmm. No, I don't mean my own blood. No, draws no, no. the blood of my Simply patient. Yeah. I get a little butterfly with the appropriate size needle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, put on the tourniquet. Yeah, and hang their arm down by the side, and then you search very carefully. I can get into little tiny veins and draw blood. In fact, there are doctors who send their patients who are difficult sticks to me. They just walk in the door, oh, yeah, I'll draw your blood. It doesn't take long. And it's very rare that I can't do it. I can't remember the last time I couldn't get somebody. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. um, I hear of various doctors. These are regular medical doctors talking about probiotics. Right. And the thing is, I uh, I bought a bunch of probiotics <laughs> off of the website, and there are so many different types. Yeah. That in you know what you go in one is twenty nine dollars for a bottle, the other was one hundred and ten. Yeah. What is the difference? They're okay. really they're different types of bacteria, so. There's um, uh, a type that is what you find in infants. There's a type that you find in healthy adults. Yes. And what these are are, quote, unquote, good bacteria. We we have more bacteria in our gut than we have human cells in our body. They help us digest. They help get rid of toxins. These bacteria can get bad. They can be the kind of bacteria that don't help you digest. So the concept is you take... Uh, this thing called bifidus something or otherus, you know, fetalis. Sure. Yeah. And it gives you a bacteria that is beneficial by helping you digest and helping you get rid of toxins, and it supposedly takes over from the bad bacteria. Now, okay. it's been shown to help a lot of individuals. You can get it in yogurt, or you can get little capsules and take it. Now, I take it. I take a, a line, A-L-I-G-N, because it's the baby stuff. It's like the Gerber of probiotics. Yeah. And I don't, it seems to help. I mean, I don't have as much reflux. I don't have as much doo-doo problems as I used to have. Thank so, you for sharing. But again, that it, it's not you know, for sure because it's just anecdotal. But I, you can't go wrong um, with a probiotic right. unless – you take 50 of them and spend a lot of money, then you're going to go wrong. But okay, but they're all the same then when I go to the drugstore? No, they're not. And I think what you need to do is try one. And you don't see a difference, switch to a different one. How can and, I try it? I got one here that I ordered, uh, and it's like $89 for, oh, for, no. for 60 capsules. Oh, no. And I go into, then I go into like Walgreens, and I see probiotics. Like nine ninety five. Right. What should you do? What should uh, you do? Try the cheap one first. Yeah, try it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like um, you know, CoQ ten we talked about earlier. Uh Qnol is a hundred dollars a month. And they have that guy from the doctor's show saying, I use Qnol for my you know and <laughs> I just buy the stuff that's a dollar ninety eight. I mean, it's just the chemical. Try well, it this cute all gets it in better, you know. Now, reference to the previous questions, forgive me. Uh, like if I have a colonoscopy, uh, they want to insert you with a needle, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, the thing is, uh, if you have no veins, you say uh, you don't, you have no idea what, yeah. what the uh, injection would be for five minutes, like yeah. I said, to... Uh, uh, to alleviate 
injection from a needle. You have no idea, right? All right. I have no, no idea. Uh, uh, Tell you what, I'll, I'll Google it and see what you're coming up with. Is it possible that there's another thing that he could do before he thinks he's going to get blood drawn? Should yeah, he there make is. sure that he's not dehydrated? Yeah. Number one, drink a lot of fluids beforehand. Yeah. Number two, a warm, moist towel. Yes. Because that'll dilate the veins and dilate the arteries and make them a little bigger. All right. We're going to talk with uh, Philip in just a moment. We're going to talk about a pacemaker that dissolves. What good is that? Really good. Especially for what you just had. All right. And a Canadian official, a Canadian government official has admitted that the ban on their ban on in-person gatherings is actually to prevent the spread of blank. And I'll tell you what blank is in just a moment. It's it's outrageous. Your head will explode. I can't wait. Telephone number 919-860-9783. Call between noon and 2 on Saturday because that's when we produce Heart Health Radio. Well, you know you make me want to kick my heels up and shout, throw my hands up and shout, throw my Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts or at hearthealthradio.com. Remember that uh, can of bang? You banged it out, huh? I, it's gone. Yeah. It's it's. I notice your voice finished. is a little quicker. I don't know what the Your deal face is. is a little more flushed. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to shout out uh, yeah. Noname Female. Okay. Uh, as a woman I saw, her husband listens to the show. Yeah. And I don't know if you recall, he said, when I see somebody as a second opinion. Well, I saw the... Wonderful woman. I don't have her permission to use her name. I'm going to not um, give details. Anyway, right. patient needed heart surgery. And the question was, do, did she need it? And she had had all the workup. And the s- surgeon that um, talked to her really didn't give her enough information for right. her to make a wise decision. And so I looked at all of the... Um, studies that had been done and everything, listen to her. I mean, listen to her talk, but also listen to her heart. And I was able to give her a a really good recommendation and explain why she really should have the surgery. And it was a really great experience, not only, I think, for the patient and her husband, but for me too, because it was just a, a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling but they walked out of the office after a one-hour meeting right. with explanation, and they felt better about proceeding with surgery. So I just want to shout out this you, fine woman. You met with a patient patient for an hour. And her husband for an and hour. And her husband for an hour. Yes. And the surgeon who's going to get paid for doing the surgery. Not much more than me. I'm kidding. Yeah, he will. Yeah, he will. Yeah. But the point is... This person sat in front of their computer and was clicking away and wasn't yeah. paying attention. And, you know, I have this really great um, uh, electronic board yeah. where I can bring up models and flip them around and show them where the valve is. And apparently, he just sort of drew on the, <laughs> on the sheet yeah. with a marker. Yep. And I think that the lesson for all of us is that explanations are so critical listening to the patient's questions. And, you know, I could tell when I had gotten across to her. It was like a weight was lifted off of her shoulders. And her blood pressure when she first came in, 190 over 110. Yeah. 
after we'd finished, after she knew what was going on and made a decision about what she wanted to do, 120 over 70. Really? Yeah. Philip in Raleigh, welcome to Heart Health Radio. Hi. Yes, hi. What's up? I just want to get a shout out, give a shout out to Dr. Weeple. Well, thank you. I have never seen an American, a U.S. doctor draw blood. I do it. Uh, I do it. Well, I heard what you said, and we lived in Germany for over 12 years. And unfortunately, my son had an epileptic condition, uh-huh. which he outgrew. It was diagnosed as Rolando epilepsy, which is outgrown in puberty. Good. Typically. And fortunately, he, he did outgrow it and is, is symptom-free. But we had the best of the best care. We lived in Heidelberg, and had our doctor was the head of pediatric neurology at the Heidelberg Medical School. Right, and he drew he drew his own blood. Yeah, and I I had never seen a doctor do that. Well, I like to do it. Number one, I'm so I'm gonna just brag. I'm so good at it <laughs> that the patients are afraid, and then I put the needle in, and the blood's coming out already, and they're yeah. still scrunching. And I said, "Hey, how was that?" And they look down. And they go, "Wait a minute, I didn't feel that." <laughs> and you got to just be able to do it right. Butterflies are the way to go. If you've had a problem getting phlebotomy so they take you know they take those big needles and jam them and jam them yes those girls are great and i'm not being you know condescending there are some men who draw blood um but they they are required to use those big huge needles because they're cheaper now i told my blood company or my lab company that i'm gonna have you're gonna supply me with butterfly and the reason is it looks like a butterfly and you can hang onto those wings and you can manipulate it and and go and i have really good hand-eye coordination plus when i'm drawing it i can talk to the patient some more right and say you know uh give me some more of your history while i'm drawing your blood and for me it's the satisfaction of a job well done now you know what i don't like What's that? Is the labels. I got to write out the labels and write out this and that. That's the worst part of it. But you do it. Yeah. You just don't like it. Oh, yeah. Philip, I'm glad you called in. Thank and you. thank I, you. I, I, I've got one more comment. Sure. Yeah. Please. I've, I've never seen a U.S. doctor do it. Uh, uh, I, I was impressed to hear that. But my son was on a medication uh, called Ospilot Mita. It was not approved, not FDA approved, and we moved back to the U.S. in 2000. And it was approved in the Czech Republic, Germany, oh Israel, yeah. Australia. Well, it, uh, so we smuggled as much in as we could. Oh, oh wow. Oh, All right, listen, we're, but, we're, uh, we're know, about we've done been, with, with the hour. We've out of pills, yeah. and... Uh, we did get a, a physician to write a script for it, and he said, well, you you have to figure out how to get it. Yeah. Right. And we actually obtained the drug All right. and, from the Israeli pharmacy in Canada. And, Philip, awesome. we've got to leave it there. Thank you for calling Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor. The following is a paid program, and the views expressed are those of the hosts and guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPTF or Curtis Media Group. Information provided is of a general nature. 
Listeners seeking specific advice should contact a licensed professional in the appropriate area. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio, Heart Health Radio, oh, 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 hearthealthradio.com, Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. And this is Heart Health Radio, FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF. I've noticed we occasionally in the last couple of weeks have gotten very loosey-goosey in hour two. Loosey-goosey? Yes. What does that mean? It's like, it's not that we're unprofessional. We're just we're so relaxed yeah. that it pays off for us. I think so. More people call yeah. in in the second hour, and, and we're grateful to Phil and Raleigh for hanging on. But I, yeah. I, we're in today's, or in this hour, we're going to talk about robot surgery a pacemaker that dissolves, and we have not yet talked about the breakthrough migraine drug. I want to mention this about this Canadian official okay? because it will drive you nuts. All right. A Canadian official from Nova Scotia, he's their chief medical doctor. He is their Nova Scotian version of Dr. Fauci. He has admitted that the recent ban on in-person gatherings is to prevent the spread of what? Uh, halitosis? I don't know. False information. Okay. In other words, we don't want you to get together with your oh, friends what is, because that's terrible. it will cause false information. Yeah, but if there's more false information on, on Facebook and Twitter, I, I, you know. I don't understand someone yeah. actually saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we don't want you to get together with your friends because you might misinform each other about medical stuff. Gee, me. Phil in Raleigh, welcome to the program. How are you? Well, as one of my guitar teachers used to say, I'm almost perfect. You're almost what? Perfect. Almost perfect. perfect. Yeah, well, yeah, well, a more perfect good. union tomorrow. That's good. July 4th. What can we do for you, Phil? Well, I called in in February and uh, about the body scan question. Yes. Great. told me to call back. After I got it with the results, and I also have a bunch of questions sure. from it. Go ahead. Um, when I got it three years ago, the score was 103, the calcium score. Yeah, What? how I old got, are you? Pardon me? How old are you? 70. Okay. That's not bad at all. And then when I just got it in March, it was 128. So I wasn't too concerned, but the the body scan I got in March showed it by artery and the lad what is it left anterior descending right it had 128 and all the other arteries were zero and my doctor said well that's the widowmaker artery sure and so he wanted me to see a cardiologist which i did and i got an eeg and it was uh, ekg and it was fine but the cardiologist had me take a stress test anyway and the results were all normal yeah so i'm happy about that but uh, I have a few questions, uh, sure. Unless you have some first, but the the reason one of the reasons I wanted to do all this was because I thought I had a terrible family history. You know, my dad's brothers died of strokes and heart attacks in the fifties. Sister died in seventies from heart attacks, and 
my dad, fortunately, the angioplasty had come along uh, by the time he was in his late 60s, and he had three of them, and he actually lived in 96. But they were all heavy smokers and drinkers. So do I really have a family history of heart problems? Or Okay, that is, that is a really good question. Um, I think you have a family history of heart problems when the hearts, <laughs> the bodies, are exposed <laughs> to drinking and smoking. Yeah. And the fact that you have lived a good and, and I presume, smokeless and drinkingless life means that you haven't had the chance to interact with your particular genetic predisposition to harm your arteries. Now, this is the interesting thing. I'm going to go back to your coronary calcium data. Um, your coronary calcium score for your age is great. It's adjusted by age. So if you had a score in your LAD, that's the artery, the left anterior descending, that goes down and feeds most of the front and side part of your heart, the widowmaker, because if it clots off, you know, you have a high chance of dropping dead. But your score was excellent before, and it's excellent now. So you have to interpret the score based on your age. Because even if you have a small amount of cholesterol, in the left anterior descending. By the time you're 70, you're gonna have some calcium. Now, if you have a 22-year-old with a score of 100 in the left anterior descending, that is a high likelihood score, a score for a high likelihood of a blocked artery. In your situation, you are the 95th percentile of goodness in your calcium score. Hmm. So I, I don't think it was bad that you got a stress test. I mean, some people have what we call silent um, ischemia. They can't feel a tightness in their chest. So I think that's a double um, uh, test, I mean, another test to give you some confidence that you're okay. But um, always, if you're going to go out and get these scans, and I think they do this in advance, uh, they'll give you your score and then a percentile of your based on your age. So I had in my left anterior descending at the age of 56, I had a score of about 200, which is, you know, 50-50, maybe 60-40 for having a bad uh, predictive um, score in terms of happening to me. But I went on an intensive cholesterol management system where I got my left my left anterior, my LDL cholesterol from 178, which is extremely high down to 11. Two years later, my calcium score was 60. So you can reverse this stuff. But I would pat yourself on the back for having a low calcium score for your age and for having a negative stress test. Now, I would get your cholesterol and keep your cholesterol under control, but I think you're in pretty good shape. Now, I can't promise you'll never drop dead of a heart attack, but that risk is extremely small and much less than, um, you know, an average person. He's looking at me, Phil. Yeah. Much less heck? than Dave. Than Dave. Yeah. But well, just keep... I do have a just look, 30, so yeah. I have... Uh, and, and we talk about family history. There are some, and there might be 300 different genetic predispositions that interact to have coronary disease. Some, no matter what you do, you're going to get it, like Dave. I mean, you know, Dave lived a good life, and he's still got blockages. <laughs> and then not, someone wait, like wait, 
can you not refer to me in the past tense? Oh, that's true. <laughs> okay, okay. Please. Well, there's a new Dave now, okay? The new Dave is that he's had his surgery and he's flying right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there is another type of family history that if you smoke and drink and are sedentary and obese, then you're going to get it. Yeah. But if you don't smoke and you exercise and you're not obese, there's a high chance you're not going to get it. So, like I said, pat yourself on the back, and it doesn't – I mean, it's possible that your family history is of the type that since you've led a, quote-unquote, good life, it's not going to be one of those things that hangs over your head like the sword of Damocles. You know what that is? Yeah. Yeah, the sword of – it was a Greek thing where some guy lived with a sword hanging over his head that was about to cut his head off. But I am – I'm really excited about you, um, your Phil, your, your – I mean, your health – uh, and your future uh, looks good. Okay, thanks. How often do you recommend uh, getting a scan like this? Uh, for you, um, I probably would never do it again unless you were symptomatic. I mean, you've had two scans. Uh, the, you know, someone at your age, you know what a bad score is? I'll give you a bad score, 621. I'm looking on, the, uh, on this yeah. uh, graph here. You're in great shape. Live your life, exercise. If you start to get symptoms of fatigue and shortness of breath or mm-hmm. tightness in the chest, go see your doctor right away. But right now, um, go enjoy the 4th of July. And I give you special dispensation yeah. for two hot dogs on white buns <laughs> and live your life and be happy. Take care, Phil. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, so... We never talked about this. What? Sometimes doctors deliberately vague about some things. What's a, what am I? Sometimes vague about? he's very specific. What am I vague about? Phil brought up the widowmaker. Yeah. Widowmaker is well. That's a, a sexist term. A particular <laughs> blood vessel. Right. Which, when it clogs, it's a very bad thing. Yeah. The left anterior descending in the proximal part. That means. Right where it comes off of the aorta, which yeah. is going to feed the blood to the major part of the heart. If that clots off, they call it the widow maker because there's a higher risk of death. Now, it should also be called the widower maker. Sure. Right? Or, um, you know, it, it can be bad. So what was, I, what was I vague about? During the whole description of my, in the lead up to my heart surgery, yeah. nobody said, yeah, Dave— by the way, you've got a an obstruction in the widowmaker. Was my widowmaker obstructed? Do you I, know? I think so. You think so? Well, I mean, your situation was that you had all three vessels blocked. Right. Okay. And and you know that's the that's a significant so problem. So you figure it was the well, widowmaker. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you know, nobody I don't said know. that on this show. You know. Oh, by the way, Dave, your widowmaker is pretty much clogged. Yeah. I had two. That were 100% blocked. Right, and then another one. Yeah, yeah. which was high percentage. Yeah, yeah. So okay. you, got the right, sir, you got the right thing. I got the thing done. You All got right. the right thing. All right. Robot surgery, is it any good? Well, I, we used to send a lot of people to a certain medical center in North Carolina yeah. to get a robotic repair of the mitral valve. That's the valve that controls the flow of blood between the lungs into the pumping chamber on the left, which pumps into the body. And the mitral valve prevents the blood from flowing back into the lungs. 
Well, you can repair the valve. It's kind of floppy. It's two leaflets, and you can sew them back together and sew them apart and make the valve less leaky. And they developed a robot. Now, it's not really a robot because a human controls it. Yeah. And you put these long uh, metal sticks inside, and you position them, and you secure them. And then some guy runs over to the corner like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man in the corner. (laughs) Instead, you say, pay attention to that man in the corner. He can take off his, you know, stuff and and put his hands into these, um, you know, like a video game hand controller and uh, look into the video three-dimensional um, uh, binoculars that yeah. are connected inside, and then he manipulates. Now, one advantage is you can get into very small areas. Um, but for most surgeries, it doesn't look like the robot may be a better thing. Now, they've done studies with the prostate surgery where you yeah. have to make sure you don't cut these nerves so you can preserve your manhood and I can say that because women don't have prostates, okay? So yeah, you're yeah. manhood. And, and that there's evidence that maybe the robot's uh, okay there. But don't necessarily pick your surgeon on the basis of whether he or she does the robot. Pick your surgeon on the basis of outcomes, okay. uh, success rates, complication rates, and not be yeah. sucked in by this concept that the robot is this magical advance in medicine. It's can not. I can I look up my doctor's success yeah. rate? Or you can oh yeah, or you can ask him or her and they should be honest. You know? Really? Um I I used a surgeon on the carotid arteries. Right. Uh Dr. Chaudhry. And he uh is it wait Matt, he he doesn't, I think, do main surgeries now. He I think he may be assisting um he's he's you know gotten to that stage of his career right but i knew his statistics and they were how about that fantastic okay and so i sent him about 200 patients and you know this doesn't always happen but i never had a complication i know a guy who signed up for the major doctor the major surgeon in the town and instead ended up getting the intern is that typical? Well, it de- it depends. I mean, you know, everybody has an assistant almost. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we train. And so, you know, your resident uh, is going right. to uh, do some work on it. How else is he or she going to learn? Right. But as long as that main guy or gal, his yeah. main, you know, person is in the room and directing, and I don't see that there's anything to worry about. Okay. Quick, quick story. It's a 20-year-old story, but I love it. We take my daughter, Casey, in for hernia surgery. Right. And the doctor, of course, we met with the doctor on a Friday. Surgery is Monday. And he's doing nine other surgeries. Right. But he's only doing hernias. So he comes in and says, well, Casey is going to, we're going to take good care of Casey we're going to avoid completely the testes area. So there'll be no... <laughs> right. Now, I'm going to let better. it go. I'm going to let it go because this is my daughter. Yeah. Okay? My wife springs up. She says, doctor, she's a girl. She doesn't have those. 
And what did the doctor say? What the doctor? It doesn't matter what the doctor says. This, this, the what did you call him? The the resident. Yeah. The resident is behind the major doctor. Crack and it up. He's loving it. He's cracking. He's up. loving it because every doctor is like on this terrific pedestal. Yeah. And my wife knocked him right off that Absolutely. pedestal. Absolutely. By the way, you're in for a big surprise. Yeah. When you get the diaper off. You know what I did the other day? What? Uh, I was at those forms I hate filling out, check, check, check for the blood. Yeah. So there's a little thing called the PSA. Yeah, PSA. Prostate-specific antigen. Oh, yeah. And I checked that off on a, on a uh, woman. Oh, boy. So it came back, and she got her labs off of the computer. Yeah. You can do that now. And she called me up in a panic. Doctor, my, my PSA. PSA is zero. <laughs> And I said, uh, thank the Lord, okay? <laughs> Just thank the Lord your PSA is zero because you ain't go. got a prostate. All right. This is Heart Health Radio and the Heart Health Radio Network. Now back to Heart Health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-860-9783. All right, we're going to talk about a couple of stories that have to do with longevity. Okay. Which I think is a, a, probably something that we should talk about more often. Okay. There's an article that says if you notice this when cooking, it might be an early sign of dementia. Uh, that's, but you know, the thing is, I don't, what they say is if you have trouble following a recipe, yeah. you know, so you get, you know, the, you open up the book, or nowadays as you get your computer up, right. and it's really hard for you. To go in the proper steps and fill mm-hmm. something out, then you're supposed to be at risk for dementia. And I think that's probably true. It's called t- the stepwise um, thought process. Right. Of course, you know, I have trouble following a recipe because I change them all the time. Yeah. You know, a little garlic, uh, a lot of garlic. You know, that's not <laughs> the same thing. It's like, okay, add the milk first, bring it to a boil. Right. Then add the yogurt. And instead, you put the yogurt in and bring it to a boil and what add the milk. Of, I don't know. I'm making it up. What kind of I'm making it up. Okay. Uh, so the whole point I'm trying to make is if you if you don't follow the recipes because you've got your own little savoir-faire of making something better, yes. that's not dementia. But if you have trouble um, following the steps and, and finding out and doing the amounts – and cooking for the periods of time, then that might mean that you are at uh, developing or higher risk for having dementia in the future. And I, I think that's probably true. We talked about the blue zones. This is a big thing in longevity study. Blue zones, Dan Butner is the fella. He's identified five places in the world where people are living longest, mm-hmm. and then anything associated with those five places must be something that contributes to longevity. Right. He's identified five beverages for the longest living people in the world. This is what the, the people who live longest drink. Well, I think the first would be Jack and Ginger. Right. What is Jack and Ginger? <laughs> Jack Daniels and Ginger Ale. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, he's identified um, in Okinawa where they live a long time. They didn't live a long time in World War II, okay? No, they didn't. They didn't. Green tea. I, I think that's reasonable. 
Okay. I don't know that there's been a study that, right. you know, not in Okinawa, um, say in Southern California, and they do a randomized trial of the Southern Californians. And does green tea make them actually live longer? Well, you know the problem with that study? What's that? You got to do it for 60 years. You're right. not going to get an answer right. for a long time. Um, so this is called an associative um, recommendation. Right. If, if you know, Chung Pao Wa in Okinawa, and that's not even a Japanese No, that's name. not a Japanese Yeah. Name. Anyway, I'm sorry. Don't Mr. be offended. Wong, I'm if, trying to be fancy if here. If Mr. Wong. No, Wong is a Chinese name. Is it really? Yeah. Okay, Kim I'm is, sorry. I can't Kim. think of a Japanese. Fukasawa. Okay. okay? Uh, if he drinks green tea, it doesn't mean. And he lives to 90. That doesn't mean if you drink green tea, you're going to live to 90. It just doesn't. It could be that there's a genetic predisposition in this part of Okinawa to Mm -hmm. live a long time. Mm -hmm. And so Japanese like to drink green tea. They just do. Right. All over. Even when they don't live long. Well, here's the thing. that number two item was black tea. Uh, Yeah. So if you don't drink green tea, you're going to drink black tea. I like white tea. There is a such a thing yeah. as white tea. The third beverage, which is, again, super beverages to help you live long, Yeah. coffee. I mean, pretty much you've eliminated <laughs> the whole range. Yeah. I mean, you've covered all bases on breakfast beverages. Yeah. Um, I What's can't, the other, what else is there? Water, which is dumb. <laughs> you know what they found out? That people who drink water live a long time yeah although you know what they've also found out some people who drink water don't live a long time right because everybody drinks water uh i know some people who don't drink water they refuse which brings us to number five red wine red wine red wine red wine but here's the thing but don't they drink a lot of sake in japan you know that rice wine it's not is it on there yeah it's not yeah but it's not all about here are the hot spots this fellow who does this Blue Zones thing, there's one place in Greece, there's Loma Linda, California, Sardinia, Italy, Okinawa, Japan, and Nicoya, Costa Rica. These are the places where people are living a long time. Do you know why Loma Linda? No, I don't. That's where the Seventh-day Adventists have a large population, and they have been shown as a group to live longer. And they don't drink, they don't smoke, and they live a good life. So, so it there doesn't... may be some indication, but of course the Seventh-day Adventists also are a uh, limited uh, group of individuals. They are not a whole lot of converts, and so there may be a genetic predisposition as well. So should we believe anything from this Dan Butner? No. About this, uh, these blue zones? I think zones? green tea is fine. I think black tea is fine. I think water is great. I think red wine in limited amounts is good. But it ain't going to make you live longer. It just ain't. My coffee allows the people around me to live longer. Uh, that's true. In the morning. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Insulin prices are up. Way up. Way up. And we're going to talk about the implications of that and what's coming from that or you know what's the what's the deal with the insulin is it going to affect me i'm on regular private insurance uh no no okay good they have deals i don't care what the price of a medicine is as long as somebody else is paying for the medicine 
That's that. That's me. Also, call us up, 919-860-9783. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Call us with your health questions at 919-860-9783. Listen to Heart Health Radio on Apple Podcasts at our, and at hearthealthradio.com. Diana in Willow Springs, I'm so glad you called up. Welcome to the program. You're on Heart Health Radio on Heart Health Radio flagship station, FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. What's up, Diana? Um, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask the doctor, <clears throat> my daughter who is almost 60 now, um, has Parkinson's disease, which she found that she had somewhere around maybe two years ago. And she's been to um, Duke. Duke is where her primary um, uh, visits have been and with the doctors there. She uh, has not opted to get on any kind of medication, did not want to, read up to, you know, a lot on this, she and her husband both. She does her exercises. She does a whole lot to keep going. She has a slight tremor in one hand. I can't remember if it's left or right. Um, trying her best to keep her mind, her physical body. She walks every day, um, yeah. does um, recumbent exercise on her bike, um, cleans her house, cooks, and all of that kind of thing. Uh, what concerns me is that in the last three weeks, maybe, she has um, come up with this um, speech thing. Mm. Um, that, you know, very, very much a part of Parkinson's with the, um, not being able to bring forth what she wants to say and a kind of a stuttering. You know what I'm talking about. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm concerned because she's not gotten up with her doctor to tell, tell yeah. about that. And she said, yeah. I know that I mean, they can't do anything. This thing. Then I saw in the paper in the News Observer, about the clinical trials, the first new thing that's even come close to being a potential cure for Parkinson's, um, but it's not anything that's going to come to pass in the next you know, few years, I'm sure. Are you talking about um, the brain stimulator? I don't know. It looks like something that to do with uh, something to like, I can't remember now what all it was. Oh, that's okay. There was a recent about. article about the brain stimulator where they put a little wire down into what we call the substantia nigra. It's a little part of the brain that is that is dark, and it produces dopamine. And in Parkinson's disease, you have a problem there. You don't produce enough dopamine. So the medicines that people will take increase the amount of dopamine in the brain, and it's a neurotransmitter. It connects the different parts of the nerve right. cells. Now, I think... Uh, without diagnosing her over the phone, it sounds like she may have progressive disease. The speech deficit can be because the brain's not working, or it could be that the brain is not connecting to the um, muscles, and so it's hard to speak in that way. It sounds like she she cannot come up with her words, or she can't pronounce her words. Um, It's like she sometimes can't... um Get them out. Yeah, it's what it is. She can't well, get them out. It's like almost yeah. like a stutter type thing. Sure, um, sure. It may be time, yeah, to go back to Duke. It's a great place. The Parkinson yeah. Center at Duke is really top notch, and I think it probably might be a good idea to go back 
have them reevaluate her and then see if maybe now is time for a medicine. And, you know, you don't want to get behind the eight ball and have it go too far and the medicines may not work. Now, there is something really exciting about Parkinson's now is this brain stimulation. Mm-hmm. And in the right hands, it seems to reverse some of the effects because what it does is it gives an electrical signal in that area of the brain that's not producing dopamine and it produces mm-hmm. it uh, in higher levels. And it seems to work even better in some cases than medicines. And, and so there's a lot of hope in the future about it. But I would urge her to um, go call up uh, yeah. the Duke place and say, look, I may be having a progression. Can I get yeah. in and see what they say? I, I agree. I, I really agree with that. Yep. Oh, not wholeheartedly. Tell her I, I had, said so. No. I, you know, I, I had watched <laughs> something on the TV about that. Um, on the Channel 4, there was a thing about the um, mental disease and everything, and the scribes are using all different kinds of things. Sure. Different mental things, you know. Yeah. Uh, besides that, and that was one of the things. Well, um, she's, yeah, she, she's done the right thing by exercising and exercising yeah. her mind and all that stuff. But sometimes, yeah. you know, a lot of times the disease just progresses over time. And yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. those things don't work and you got to go to medicine. I think what she has seen, doctor, is that people who get on the, uh, what is the name of the medicine that is used so widely? Cinemat. Um, it's uh, levodopa um, and carbidopa. It's a combination that gets mm-hmm. the dopamine. You have to have that combination to get the dopamine across right. what's called the blood-brain barrier so it can get into the substantia nigra. And there are some other treatments, too, um, but that's the main one that we use now. I think she has um, seen what that uh, some people have um, side effects, and I don't know if it's uh, uh, the um, the extra movement. What do you call that when you have and you, you're on something that causes um, extra movement? A side effect of the machine, of no, the medicine. There are side effects of the medicines. Yeah. They're called extra pyramidal. That means outside of certain areas of the brain, and they can affect you know, your speech and your movements as well. So that's why you don't want to take these things unless you're with a doctor who really knows what he or she are doing. Right. Well, okay, I'm going to ask you the question. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the best place to go for Parkinson's? Uh, I'm not going to say what I what you want me to say, but I will say this. Duke is a great place. Um, Johns Hopkins, Mayo Clinic. Um, yeah, and the other thing you can do, if, if this is uh, important to you, um, do you have a computer and do you ever Google something? Yes. Yeah, so Google, what is the best place? I'll do it right now. <laughs> what is the best place um, to go for Parkinson's? Diana, you're going to get Google's response All right, here we and go. not WeFault's well, response. Uh, so the Mayo Clinic has paid. Yeah. That, remember, in Google, you pay to be on top. Right, right, right. And so uh, they're not saying. Now, Duke has paid. So the Mayo Clinic is first. They've paid the most. Uh, Duke is next. Um, but I don't see uh, where it actually has an independent um, evaluation. So, you know, be happy. Duke's a good place. And I think that they're going to do the, the right thing. Um, uh, it's not just because I trained at Duke. I didn't, I trained in cardiology, not in neurology, but, um, just go back and, and see what they say. 
Well, I, I read some of Oscar, I happened on the Oscar Sachs book um, and read a bunch of stuff about his studies with the um, with this thing that followed um, the sleeping sickness thing back in the 20s. And I know you know exactly what I'm talking about, but anyway, it was very interesting. But it's not, it's not. But they had Parkinsonia-like um, um, symptoms after they um, um, woke up. Um, and so, you know, I thought to myself, it's the same thing. It just hasn't gotten, they can't, they haven't come up with a medicine that doesn't cause so many side effects um, that, you know, you're hard pressed to whether you want to risk the side effects. And once you do, you know, once you've done that, then boom, there's nothing, there's another avenue uh, after that um, medicine. So. I, I almost think, Diana, that it's a similar situation you have with with other diseases where, you know there's a progression. You just don't want to move from stage one to stage two to stage three. And sometimes going to the doctor and admitting something is going wrong, yeah. you think it's going to put you in the next class of of terribleness. Yeah, and I think that the problem that a lot of people who have Parkinson's is that they're managing their symptoms with right. exercise and brain, you know, stimulation in terms of you know reading and talking and then you know they think if they go on a medicine uh, they have to get in that next stage and go on a medicine right that it's a bad thing and let me tell you this is a progressive illness it's not going to be cured it's not going to go away it's not going to get better on its own and don't be afraid of having to go on a medicine because the medicines do and, and a lot of people do wonders and, of course, uh, some people on the medicine progress to something worse. Right. And then, you know, there may be brain stimulation. There may be lots of different things. But let her know that having to go on a medicine is not necessarily a bad thing. And you'd rather do it and get better than be afraid of a medicine because it says that you're getting worse if you take a medicine. Because that's just being an ostrich. You know, that's yeah. just saying, I, if I take a medicine, I'm worse. And then you get worse and you don't want to take the medicine. It's a sort of a snake biting its tail. That's true. Diana, thank you. Thank you so much for all of your um, your help and suggestions. I, I love the program. I'm well, thank very, you. Appreciate it. Call thank us you. anytime. I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. The That's telephone... The telephone number for folks who want to be a part of the show, 919-860-9783. There is a new um, Alzheimer's drug, Adula, Aduhelm. There's, there's... Wow. Oh, yeah. That's what we talked about before. Uh, this is going to be tough. Yeah. Okay. It's It could possibly bankrupt Medicare. And I, I'm being a little... Uh, exaggerating. Well. I'm doing a little exaggerating. It's this drug that was developed. It's a monoclonal antibody. Yeah. And the concept was, if you've got a bunch of proteins that you know sort of deposit in your brain and and lead to Alzheimer's, maybe they can create a monoclonal antibody that'll prevent the protein from being deposited. They did a big study. Yeah. Didn't seem to work. Oh well, then, you know, this is one of these studies I talk about randomized where you give some the drug and some not. Well, then uh -huh. they looked at a subgroup analysis, and it was mainly patients that weren't as advanced. So if you had really bad Alzheimer's, nothing was going to work. 
Well, okay. they they did the subgroup analysis, and it looked like on younger people, or not younger people, people with milder disease, it really prevented them from getting worse disease. So they went to the FDA, and there's a council uh, that makes a recommendation. Yeah. And the recommendation of the council, of the advisory committee, was don't approve the drug. Really? Because the major study endpoint, which was all comers, people with severe Alzheimer's and milder Alzheimer's, the overall study did not show improvement to a statistically significant degree. Well, guess what the FDA did? What? They approved it. Oh, my. And the drug is, don't quote me, it's tens of thousands of dollars a month. Oh, really? And so if they, and, and now, if you are a physician, you can prescribe it. And so the insurance companies are going to line up and say, we're not going to give it unless you meet this specific criteria. But most of the people who have Alzheimer's are Medicare patients. Yeah. And Medicare, number one, can't, by law, negotiate the price. They're just not allowed to. And number two, they don't have it set that certain criteria will not allow you to have the drug. They have that for some medication. But if we start giving this medicine to everybody with Alzheimer's, you're going to see a huge chunk of change going to this. So I don't know what the answer is because I'm not an Alzheimer's specialist. But I hope they come up with some criteria that sort of match the medication study uh, in that the subgroup analysis that seemed to benefit that they give it just to those people. Okay. Because otherwise, man, we're going to be, our pockets are going to be empty. It's hugely expensive. Really? Yeah. Well, I say make it cheaper. Uh, make it in big jars. They get to choose. Bigger jars. They get to choose. Because Medicare choose. won't negotiate prices. Okay. The Congress won't allow Medicare to negotiate prices. And that's because of the drug company um, lobbyists. And so, you know, this is, this is going to happen time and time again. New technologies, new medicines are going to be hugely expensive, and hopefully they're going to work. Okay. We've got Bob and Brenda on hold. We'll talk to them in just a moment. Also, Wake Med had no deaths from COVID It's lately. great stuff. They do it's great job. so good. It is so great. That's coming up on Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. You know you make me wanna kick my heels up and throw my hands up and This is Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Who are we shouting out this time? Wally World. Oh yeah, Walmart. What are they doing? Yeah, so Nova Nordisk uh, has uh, sold um, their diabetes insulin medications to Walmart, and Walmart is going to put them uh, out. Uh, on an affordable situation, 50 to 75% off the branded insulin price. And you're going to get branded insulin. Yeah. It's Nova Nordisk branded insulin as Walmart generic. Now, you can get it even re- even cheaper yeah. by having it in a vial. So you have to draw right. out the insulin in needles. I mean, syringes. Sure. And so what I've done for people who can't afford their insulin and really need it, is I do it for them. So I'll draw out, you know, that's a sliding scale. Sometimes, you you know, certain sugar level, you give a certain amount. Right. And I'll draw out like three, five, 10, 12 units. Right. And mark them. Three, 
five, you know, what, yeah. little pieces of paper. Then they can have in their refrigerator, and they get their um, uh, number off the meter. Yes. And they go in the refrigerator, I need six, and they pull it off, and they inject it. And it's hard. I mean, you have to do it. The pens are so much easier. They but are. now you're talking $1,000 a month for a long-acting insulin pen that you can dial up and make it convenient. Right. And Wally World's going to have it for 75% less. And then they're also going to have Wally World pens, but they'll be a little more expensive. But the great thing that's happening and coming are these hackers. They're called biohackers. Yes. And they're making their own insulin, and it, it's they're genetic, you know, molecular biologists, and they're learning how to make their own insulin. And you won't be able to buy it from them because it's illegal. <laughs> but they may slip you some. Okay. Hey, Joe. I got some Lantis here. You want it? <laughs> be a black market yeah. in insulin. Bob and Raleigh, thank you very much for calling. How you doing? Uh, still breathing. So Good. <laughs> it's, it's always good to hear. Yeah. What's up? You, well, you know, I've got the polychondritis. Yes. You remember we discussed it? We sure. did. It. We, we did. Yeah. I remember very well. Okay. My two major symptoms are labored breathing, shortness of breath, and Chronic, very chronic fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yes. All along, I was thinking this was a anatomical problem. That is to say, my collapsed nose reduced my the interior of my airways. Bigger pressure drop. I got to breathe more and more difficultly. Yes. I've come up with a new hypothesis. I want to run by you. Good. Go ahead. In, in one sentence, flow chart. Yeah. I got polychondritis. I get put on methotrexate for quite some time. MTX therapy, this is after a lot of lit search. MTX therapy precipitates macrocytosis, which I have chronically. Macrocytosis to me means you have less uh, blood oxygen carrying capacity because the corpuscles are bigger, so the surface area attaches to the oxygen. Yeah. Is much less than Toto. Sure. When you got less oxygen, you got fatigue and breathing trouble. What do you think? Okay, that's that's you know a, a good hypothesis. What happens in lung disease uh, with relapsing polychondritis is that you it gets you have a a thickness that it gets greater, so the oxygen transport is reduced. And then, so you get more short of breath because with each breath, you're not getting as much oxygen. Another reason why you might have short of breath, shortness of breath is because your airways aren't as resilient. They're not as, as compliant. So your air can't get in and can't get out as, as well. But then the third thing, and I think you need to check with your doctor, is that methotrexate can harm your lungs. So it's it's possible. Oh, I know about lung toxicity. <laughs> methotrexate. Yeah. So I mean, I think your hypothesis is is pretty is pretty straight on, but okay, well, don't let me tell you last thing. Yeah. What I want to try now is suspend the methotrexate for I don't know. I'm guessing maybe three weeks with taking nothing, and then start prednisone. Well, let me tell you, don't do that without your doctor saying that. Oh, no, right I've thing. already run it by him. Okay. He thought that was okay. Okay. Well, let us know if it works. 
Good luck to you, Bob. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you uh, more or less agree. All right. Thank you, Bob. Hey, good luck. We love you. Bye-bye. Brenda in Siler City. How you doing, Brenda? Doing fine. Thank you. So what's going on? Well, I was diagnosed with TVCs about a year ago. Okay. And the doctor prescribed metoprolol. Sure. Which I did not start to take because my blood pressure normally runs low. Uh-huh. And I thought, that's going to make me feel worse. But the PVCs uh, were in, I thought, a rather low volume, something around 100 <coughs> a day, maybe not that many. And from what I could read, um, you know, the metoprolol wouldn't be prescribed unless you had like 10,000 a day or something. Right. Did they bother you? So, I mean, do you feel bad when you get them? No, not really. Yeah. It's just kind of unsettling. You know? Okay. Well, and, and how often? Once an hour? Uh, once, um, how often? Some days I don't even feel them at all. I don't know yeah. if I'm so busy that I don't even, you know, feel them. Good. But some days I have none at all, and then other days, yeah. you know, it's maybe, I don't even know how many times, maybe 15 or 20. Sure. Now, did they talk but, about non-medical ways to treat it? No, not that I recall. Okay, do you drink coffee? Caffeine? No. Okay, so, no. so you can cut that back because coffee can be yeah. a stimulant. Do you exercise? And by that, I mean, do you just take walks? I try to walk a mile a day, but my job won't let me during the winter okay. months. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, I try to walk two or three times a week okay. as I can. And do, was there any evidence of any other type of heart problem, you know, structural? No. Um, I had an echocardiogram on EKG. They couldn't find anything. They said my heart function was yeah. normal. Okay. So premature ventricular contractions or PVCs, they're just right. what they sound like. You have an area in the bottom part of your heart, either the right part or the left part, that's irritable and allows electricity to spontaneously, you know, um, cause a contraction instead of coming down the normal pathway. If you don't have structural heart disease, if you don't have, say, blockages of cholesterol that have restricted blood flow, and then you've got scar tissue, and then you can have excitability, if you don't have that, they're mainly benign. And the reason why you treat them is because they feel bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know that they're benign and they don't bother you and they're not frequent, um, then a lot of times we just say, just ignore it. A beta blocker mm-hmm. like metoprolol, the way that works is it doesn't allow a stress hormone, adrenaline, to increase the number of these PVCs. Now, a lot of times the PVCs don't respond to metoprolol. Sometimes if they're a special type we call reentrant or right ventricular, that's because there's a pathway, a circular pathway that's leading to them uh, of electricity, a circular pathway of electricity, then sometimes a calcium channel blotter, blocker would work. But I think you're sort of barking up the right tree in that the question is whether you need any treatment at all. And as long as you get them and you say to yourself, they, they don't bother me, they don't make me feel bad, um, it's just kind of startling. If you can get over that right. and you're doing well, then, you know, if you were my patient, uh, the recommendation might be no treatment at all. Okay. 
I want to pick up with this last caller. We don't have time for a deep conversation. I just want to tell you, Ken is on the line from Philadelphia. Great. Ken, will you please call this radio show next week? Okay. It's about the uh, cost of the uh, Alzheimer's medicine. Yeah. It's it's not. I sent Dr. Weefold an article about it. It's only going to be the copay about a thousand dollars a month. Right. Rather. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Can, that's that's because they're getting discounts. And, and we've we'll talk, got it. Call us next week. I want to talk about it. All right. Thank you, Ken. This is Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.